We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 11 this evening. Hebrews chapter 11. We've been taking some time on Sunday nights to examine this chapter that deals with faith and living our lives by faith. And over the last couple of weeks, of course, we've looked at the first two that were mentioned there, Abel and then Enoch. And uh, one of the things that I mentioned about them is that these are men that we really know very little about in the Bible. Now, when we come to Noah, we know some more about Noah and his family and uh, some things about his life than maybe the previous two. Although the Bible doesn't have nearly as much dedicated to him as we see to men like Abraham or Moses or David, uh, some of those, but uh, the Bible certainly does give us some insight into the life of Noah. And here in Hebrews 11, it gives us uh, really this example of this demonstration of faith, a life lived by faith uh, as, as demonstrated by Noah. And we're going to read just, I'll let you remain seated, but uh, we're going to read just one verse tonight in our text, and that is verse number 7. And here's what it says, by faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. This verse describes really the life of Noah and his example of faith. And of course, I think most everyone here is familiar with God's uh, warning of Noah and, and telling him that a flood was coming, that he was going to destroy the whole earth because of a flood. And therefore, uh, he told Noah to build an ark. And he gave him specific instructions on how to do that. And one of the greatest things that can be said of Noah is he did everything that God told him to do. Uh, that, that really was the example of faith that Noah had, was doing what God said. And so tonight, if you want a summary of what it means to live by faith, we'd say, obey God. Who wants to dismiss in prayer? Amen. That's what, what this is. But there are obviously some things about uh, Noah's faith and the results of his faith that, that we glean from even just this verse of Scripture uh, hold your place here in Hebrews 11 and go back with me, if you would, to Genesis chapter number 6. Genesis 6 is when we're introduced to the situation uh, that Noah was facing. And, and I want to say this before we really even get into our text too much tonight. Uh, I, I want to mention that one of the greatest examples or greatest lessons that we learn from the life of Noah is that it is possible to live an obedient life of faith, even in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Notice in verse number, we're in Genesis 6, verse number 5, it says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart, and the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Verse number 9, these are the generations of Noah 
Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. I want you to think about this because oftentimes I think uh, we, we tend to kind of uh, make excuse for ourselves in that we look at the world around us and we'll say things like this. We're living in unprecedented times and we're living in such wicked times and we really kind of use that as an excuse to say it's more difficult to live for God today than it used to be. But I want you to know that that is actually not an accurate understanding of where we are in history. You might think that the world is more wicked than it's ever been, and I'll grant to you that it's probably more wicked today than it's ever been in your lifetime. But we do not live in the most wicked generation that's ever lived on the face of the earth. The Bible says here in verse number uh, 5 that God saw the wickedness in the earth, uh, that it was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Think about this. Noah lived in a time when everyone around him was wicked and evil all the time. Where every imagination of the thoughts of the hearts of every person around him and in Noah's life was only evil. He lived in a time where the wickedness of the earth was so terrible that God moved to destroy the entire earth. Now, God has not done that today. And the reality is, as much wickedness is running rampant all around us, it is also true that there are multitudes of born-again believers in Christ, and there is a Holy Spirit that is present on the earth and actively working in the lives of His people, as some who are represented here in churches like this one all across this nation and all across the world. God has a, a, a remnant of people that are still living righteously and standing for truth. And, and the reality is that if you are looking for someone uh, that, that loves God and, 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 and wants to stand for truth and the Word of God, you can find them. Look around you tonight. So you're not living in a day that's worse than the days of Noah. In fact, the days of Noah are uh, described in Scripture. They're kind of the benchmark for the wickedness that will be in the last days, as it was in the days of Noah, right? That, that's the wickedness that we find. And so, uh, so the, the Noah was living in a day that was like the poster child for a wicked generation. And yet he was able to live righteously and to live a life of faith. He was a righteous man and perfect in his generations. I believe if Noah was able to live righteously in the day in which he lived, it ought to be a challenge to us to say, regardless of what the world is doing today, by the grace of God, we are able to live in a way that is pleasing to the Lord. We can't simply make the excuse, well, you know, things aren't like they used to be. It's not as easy to stand for truth and to stand for the Lord as it used to be. No, but it's easier probably than it was in the days of Noah. And it's easier probably than it was living in Sodom and Gomorrah. And oh, by the way, it's probably easier than it was living as a converted Jew in Jerusalem in the first century or living as a converted Gentile uh, in cities like Ephesus and Corinth and under the, uh, the, the uh, Roman Empire. Uh, folks, I'm just simply saying that 
When you go back in history and you look at the things that were going on uh, in the world, the truth is that we're not really living in truly unprecedented times. We may be living in times that are unprecedented to our experience and to recent history, but God's people throughout the centuries and throughout the ages have remained faithful to Him in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. And if Noah was able to, by the grace of God, so ought we be able to live for God. And so you find here this man Noah, who living in the midst of corruption and living in the midst of wickedness and evil... The Bible describes in verse number 12 that, uh, that the, the, the earth was corrupt. All flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. But I want you to notice the end of the chapter in verse number 22. Thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. In the context of everything going on, Noah did what God commanded him to do. And that is the example of a life that is lived by faith. Regardless of what the world is doing around us, to simply live a life that is obedient to the Lord and pleasing to the Lord and to do as God says. And so let's go back to the book of Hebrews and look at our text here tonight in verse number 7. And we find some of the, uh, the lessons in faith that we learn from Noah and his obedience to God. We'll go through these kind of quickly. First of all, I want to show you that obedient faith takes God at His word. In other words, obedient faith <clears throat> believes God even if our own eyes don't see it and our own minds don't understand it. Notice what it says in verse number 7. By faith Noah, being warned of God, of things... Not seen as yet. Moved with fear, prepared an ark. So Noah went ahead and obeyed God, even though, listen, even though the evidence all around him did not point to what God was saying uh, being true. Think about that for a moment. As Noah looked at the earth around him and God said, I'm going to destroy the whole earth with a flood, Noah could have looked up at the sky and said, that's interesting, I don't see any rain clouds. Noah could have said, that's interesting because the scientists of the day and the meteorologists of the day aren't predicting that kind of catastrophic uh, weather system. I mean, there's, there's nothing to suggest, God, that this is actually going to happen. After all, this is just fantasy. No, Noah, though his eyes didn't see what God said was going to happen, there was no physical evidence that would point to that. Noah believed God, and he believed God concerning things that had not happened as of yet. Now, folks, I want to say this. There are some things that the Bible says are going to take place that many of us maybe struggle to really comprehend or even believe. There are things that the, that the Bible says are going to happen in coming days that the world scoffs at, 
And sometimes even God's people try to explain away. There's a movement, it's not new, but it is something that we hear about pretty frequently today, that takes the events of the end times that the Bible describes in the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation and tries to explain those things away by saying that that's not meant to be taken literally. And you know, God is trying to teach us a lesson, but this is really uh, more of an illustration. It's what we call a spiritualizing view of the end times. There's a great number of supposedly Bible-believing Christians out there today that actually deny the reality of a second coming, a physical, visible second coming of Christ. There are people out there that believe that that's all figurative. We know this is what's known as amillennialism. They don't believe in a literal millennial reign of Christ on earth. They, they deny that. They've, they've kind of written that off and they say, well, most of the things that were written there uh, in Revelation and in Daniel were fulfilled in 70 A.D. and those things are past. And friend, I just want to tell you this. God said that there is coming a day that Christ will return. The apostles stood there at the foot of the mountain watching Jesus be taken up into glory and the angels looked at them and they said, this same Jesus will come again in like manner as you've seen him go into heaven today. In other words, Jesus is going to come just as sure as he ascended to heaven bodily, he will return bodily to earth. And the Bible teaches us and tells us that he's going to come and he's going to set up his kingdom upon this earth, that he's going to rule and reign for a thousand years. The Bible tells us that there are two resurrections that we're awaiting, a resurrection of those who are alive in Christ. We call this the rapture when Christ sounds the trumpet and calls us home and we're caught up together to meet the Lord in the air and the dead in Christ will rise first. I've mentioned this before, but I often think about this at the cemetery across the street. I'm sure not all of those people that are over there are in heaven today, but I would guess that a good number of them are. And there is coming a day when those graves, listen, those graves are going to literally be opened and the bodies of God's people are going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air and then we're going to be right behind them. Now that might seem strange and, 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 and we have a hard time grasping that. Why? Because we haven't yet seen these things. But why do we believe them? Well, because God said them. We take God at His word, and if God has said this is going to happen, it's going to happen. And though Noah could have stood back and said, well, God, I've never seen a flood like that before. Are you just, maybe you're just trying to teach me a lesson. Is this metaphorical? Is this a metaphorical flood? No, that's not what he did. God said, hey, Noah, I'm going to destroy the earth. You need to build an ark. You know what Noah did? He got busy building an ark. And by the way... I think sometimes we have this picture of, you know, because this was so many years ago, they must have been living in some really primitive time where Noah didn't have anything better to do. I'd encourage you to go back and look at some of the things that we actually find that were going on in the world before the flood. And I'll tell you, this was not a primitive society. And it wasn't like Noah was just sitting there somewhere in a tent with nothing better to do. 
In fact, it must have seemed strange not only to him, but to the people around him. What is this that I'm supposed to be doing? Building this big boat, building an ark. But he did what God said because God said it was going to happen, even though he didn't understand it. Obedient faith takes God at his word. Secondly, obedient faith prepares for the coming judgment. Obedient faith prepares for the coming judgment. Notice those words that Noah prepared an ark. He accepted what God had said and he adjusted his lifestyle and his actions accordingly. Noah certainly, again, as I mentioned, would have had other things that he could have been doing, business ventures that he could have been pursuing, <clears throat> a life to live, and it would have been easy for Noah to say, you know what, God, I'm too busy to, to really go to work building an ark. I mean, how, how many of you have ever been to the Ark Encounter over in Kentucky? Any of you ever been there? Boy, that's quite a sight to see, isn't it? Built as, as much as possible. There's certainly some artistic license taken there, but built based upon what the Bible says the Ark was. Do you think that's something that is going to be built on, as a weekend project? You know, this wasn't on Noah's honey-do list, was it? You know, hey, when I get around to it, if I get a few extra hours, I'm going to work, you know, almost like a guy restoring his old vintage car whenever I get some free time. No. In order for Noah to accomplish what God told him to do, this required a total change in his life. It changed the way he spent his time. It changed the way that he earned his money. It changed everything about his life because there was a reality of something that God was going to do. And Noah was willing to make the changes necessary in his life. He said, well, what does that have to do with us today? Let me just say this. We need to be careful as Christians not to get caught up in this concept and this idea that, you know, we're, we're saved and we're on our way to heaven and so uh, we can just kind of go on and live life as though nothing has happened. Listen, if you're saved... And you know what's coming. Your entire life, you, the things that you're doing ought to be driven by an understanding that this life is not the end. You need to live life with an eternal perspective. That there are things that are bigger than just making the next dollar or getting that next promotion or building that bigger house or having that nicer car, or you know, getting better at this golf score, or whatever the case is, or whatever the things are that you spend your time on. There are bigger things that we're living for. Noah, when he was warned of God, was willing to change what his life was about and the focus of his life because there was something bigger coming. And you say, well, yeah, Noah, Noah knew that it wasn't worth, you know, living to the things of this world because God was going to destroy the earth. So why build a bigger house? Because it's going to be destroyed anyway. Why earn more money? Because it's all going to be gone anyway. And, and I would just say to you, friend, listen, I don't know how much longer we have, but could we not make that application today and say, what's the point of living for the things of today when we know that there's a judgment coming 
There's a day that God's going to destroy all of this. Wouldn't it be better to invest our time and our energy and our effort on spiritual things that are actually going to have eternal value? But we often get our eyes off of the eternal and so focused on the temporal. And, and folks, I wanna, I'm just going to say it, it. It really is a lack of faith. It's the, the, the fact of the matter is we know and we accept intellectually that this life isn't the end, but we live our lives as though this is the be-all, end-all. And it's not. For those of us who are saved, this is simply a dressing room for tomorrow. For when we enter the, the Lord's presence, and when Jesus said, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, he wasn't saying, don't, don't make provision for the future of your life. But what he was saying is, don't live your life for the things of this life. Because it doesn't last. It doesn't last. Live your life for eternity. Noah acted upon the word of God and was willing to make adjustments to his lifestyle because he knew and believed that what God said was true. Go with me, if you would, to Luke chapter number uh, 12. No, I'm sorry, Luke 17. <clears throat> Luke 17 this evening. You got to quit getting me so excited, I'm losing my voice. Luke chapter 17, verse number 26. Notice what it says. It says, As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days, or so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, also as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day, he which shall be upon the housetop and... Uh, I'm sorry, in that day... He which shall be upon the housetop and his stuff in the house, <clears throat> let him not come down to take it away. And he that is in the field, let him likewise not return back. Remember Lot's wife. Whatsoever shall, or whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. I tell you in that night there shall be two men in one bed, and the one shall be taken and the other shall be left. Two women shall be grinding together. The one shall be taken and the other left. Two men shall be in the field and one shall be taken and the other left. What's he saying there? When Christ returns, people are going to be going on about life as though everything's normal. It's just another day. And it's going to take them by surprise. In the days of Noah, the people all around Noah that scoffed, no doubt, at what he was doing, didn't know that this would be their last day on earth. And so that what they do, they went about life as usual. Eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, planting, building, just like every other time of life. But Noah was spared because Noah understood there was something happening. There was something coming. And he adjusted his lifestyle accordingly. 
Christian friend, if you really believe, if you really believe that what the Bible says is true, it ought to affect your life. Don't be like everyone else in the world. Don't go on as though life is just normal. Listen, there's coming a day, and we don't know when that day and that hour is, but we know that in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, the trumpet's going to sound, and we're going to be gone. Don't let that day take you, catch you off guard, caught up in the things of the world. Noah prepared an ark. And as we're in Hebrews 11, I want you to notice this also. It says that he prepared an ark because he was moved with fear. He was moved with fear. There was a certain urgency that was there and even a fearfulness. I've known some Christians who've said, well, I'm not, I don't fear God anymore because perfect love casts out fear. Listen, that's a, a total misunderstanding of what that means. You're a fool if you don't fear God. You're a fool. The Bible says in 1 Peter 1 and verse 17, if you call on the Father who without respect of persons, I'm paraphrasing, judges. He says, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. If you really believe this book, it, it's, it's a paradox. You can have absolute confidence and know that your sins are forgiven, that you're on your way to heaven, that you don't have to fear the judgment of God because you're not under wrath. You're not appointed to wrath. But at the same time, if you believe this book, the reality and the knowledge that one day you'll stand before God and give account ought to cause you to fear. It ought to cause you to have some reverence, a, a degree of sobriety about your life where you recognize this is serious stuff. It grieves me. It grieves me when I look out across a congregation and see people who are totally checked out. I'm not looking at anyone, pointing at anyone in particular, but I'm just telling you, over the years I've seen it so many times. I see it in young people. Like, when are we, when are we gonna be done with this? I got better things to do. Folks, do we realize the seriousness of all of this? Imagine how Noah must have felt having God come to him and say, Noah, I'm going to destroy everyone but you and your family. Build an ark. Imagine the fear. Imagine laying there awake at night and wondering how things are all going to turn out. Uh, imagine laying there awake at night and thinking, man, I hope I'm on schedule to get this thing built before those rains start coming, you know? I'm just saying, I, I, I'm not saying you need to lay awake at night in fear. If you know the Lord, you ought to have the peace of God in your life. I'm just saying, don't, don't write this stuff off as though it's not serious. Listen, the life that we live for Christ, this is serious business. What we do in church, every time the word of God is opened, every time we come and approach unto the Lord and worship, every time we pray to the Lord, this is serious stuff, folks. Serious. 
Noah was moved, moved with fear and his obedient faith took God at his word and prepared for coming judgment. And let me say this also, please listen, especially men, husbands, fathers tonight. Obedient faith has a profound effect on your family. Look what it says here in Hebrews 11, verse number 7. By faith Noah, being warned of God, of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. Thanks, Dad. Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Dad, thank you for listening to God. Thank you for not letting us be like all the other families in the earth that just perished, not believing God. Thanks for taking God seriously and being obedient to his word and acting in faith because your faith saved our family. Now understand, we know that salvation is an individual thing and, and, and when it really comes down to it, parents, we can't save our children. That's between them and God. But I will tell you this, that whether or not you live a life of faith and obedience to God will have a profound impact on your home. And you have the opportunity to change the trajectory of your future generations. Your children, your grandchildren. You say, well, my kids are grown and they're out of the house and I've missed opportunities. What about your grandkids? What about your great-grandkids? I'm just saying, Noah's faith made a difference in the lives of his children and their spouses. And by the way, they were grown and married. And there were eight people saved in that ark. Noah and his wife and his sons and their wives. Never underestimate how much your obedience to God or lack thereof can influence and affect your family. I can't help but think that Noah, sitting there in heaven with the Lord tonight, doesn't occasionally open his Bible. You know the Bible's in heaven, right? Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. I can't help but think that there aren't times that maybe Noah opens his Bible and looks at those words that by faith, Noah moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. And that maybe, I'm, just, I, I'm not trying to read something into it that's not here, but that maybe there's not a, a tear in his eye where there's just a gratitude and a thankfulness of, Lord, thank you for helping me to be obedient to you, to believe you, to trust you, to live by faith, because it influenced and affected not just me, and not just my wife, but my sons and their wives and their children and their children's children. Obedient faith takes God at his word. It prepares for coming judgment. It affects our family. And by the way, it testifies to the world. Because it says in verse number 7, By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world 
You say, well, I didn't think Noah condemned the world. I thought God condemned the world. Well, this word condemned, it, it has to do with passing judgment. In other words, it wasn't Noah that brought judgment on the world, but it was Noah that declared the judgment that was coming on the world. His obedience to God was literally a message to the world. The Bible in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 5 calls Noah a preacher, a preacher of righteousness. Now we have no written record of Noah's preaching. And I'm not here tonight to debate with you whether Noah, the preacher of righteousness, stood and audibly preached. It's very possible that he did. But I will tell you this, that the Bible says here in Hebrews 11 that by his act of faith and obedience to God, he condemned the world. In other words, to everyone around him, watching him obey God, even when it didn't make sense from a human perspective, he was preaching righteousness to them. He was preaching deliverance to them. Uh, folks, you don't have to look far to know that there was plenty of room on the ark for other people. There was opportunity for other people to respond in the same way that Noah did and be obedient to God and get in that ark and believe God and prepare for judgment. But they didn't do it. In spite of the message that was being preached by, by Noah, they were disobedient to God. I want to say this, folks. We are very adamant about the need to preach the gospel to the world. It's what we're all about as a church, the fulfillment of the Great Commission, to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And we do that consistently, and we, we try to be faithful in that. But friends, I, I want you to know as much as we want people to be saved, sometimes we preach the gospel and people get saved, and other times we preach the gospel and they don't, but at least they're accountable. No, I don't ever want someone to stand before God and say, nobody told me. But I'm confident. I can, think, I, I can see faces, folks, of people that I have given the gospel to clearly and passionately and, I can, and, and they've just totally rejected it. And all I can think is at least I know that when they stand before God, God will be able to say, I sent a messenger. I gave you opportunity. Noah... By his actions and obedience to God, condemned the world. They were made accountable. They were without excuse because there was a preacher of righteousness among them. By the grace of God, may we all be preachers of righteousness, not only by our word, but by our actions. That the world could look at us and say, there's something different about them. They don't just practice the religion of the Bible. They actually believe what God says and it changed their life. They live according to this book because they believe it. Noah preached righteousness by his actions. And by the way, the last thing here is this, that it says he became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Now don't misinterpret this because it does not say that Noah was made righteous by his works. It says that by his actions, that he became heir of the righteousness which is by 
faith. In other words, we could say it this way, that Noah's faith, the same faith that moved him to obey God in building the ark, is the same faith that we need in order to be saved. You say, well, what do I have to do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Do you know why most people tonight are not saved? Because they have not believed God. Because they have not actually taken God at His word and by faith entered into the ark. You understand this picture of salvation in the ark? That God in, in, in a time of destruction and pouring out of wrath on the earth made a way by which people could be saved from that destruction. But you had to actually believe and enter into the ark. In the same way, the righteousness of God, which is by faith, it's not of our works. The Bible is so clear. You will never be made right with God by good things you do. You can't do it. But if you really believe what God has said, you really believe that Jesus is the only way, you know what you're going to do? You're going to get in the ark. You're going to call upon the name of the Lord. You're going to trust Him as your Savior because He is the only way. And so here we find Noah... Being this example of a life lived by faith, taking God at His word, doing as God said, even when it didn't uh, uh, mesh with His own human reasoning and understanding. We see Him preparing for the coming judgment and, and, and living His life accordingly. We see Him uh, affecting, for, for all of eternity, affecting the future of His family. We see him preaching to the world and we see him demonstrating saving faith. Tonight I want to simply ask you, are you living by faith? Are you obeying God? Have you taken him at his word? Or do you try to reason away? What we find in the Bible, try to convince yourself that this is just some kind of uh, moral standard, but for the most part, you know, uh, we, we've moved beyond that. We're smarter than that now. Or do you take God at His word and believe Him for what He says? Have you responded to God by preparing for the coming judgment? First of all, have you been saved? Do you know that there's coming a day when you will stand before God and give an account? It's appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. You will be judged by God. Are you ready for that day? You say, well, yes, I'm saved. I know I'm saved. If I died tonight, I know I'd be in heaven. Can I ask you, are you living your life in preparation for that day? Is your faith positively influencing your family and others around you? And pointing them toward the Lord. Is your faith preaching righteousness to people in the world? Noah, a man who was righteous, perfect in his generation. 
a wicked, perverse, and ungodly generation believed God. And it changed his life. Are we willing to believe God and let it change our lives?